Good afternoon. Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, today, that well, the day you're listening to this is Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. Happy Lunar New Year. It's the year of the rabbit. And my name is Jasmine. I'm here with two of my friends, Janet and Anika. So hello and happy Lunar New Year. Happy Lunar New Year. Yeah, happy year of the rabbit. I haven't read up on what it means to be the year of the rabbit. Does anyone know what that bodes? I know rabbits are usually associated with kind of energy and fertility. I just did a quick search and it's saying on NBC, the rabbit is a symbol of intellect and cautiousness. Oh, interesting. I that, That's surprising. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it makes sense though. Rabbits are uh, prey animals that do need to be quite cautious. Yeah. Oh, and then something else is like on at Washington.edu, the rabbit is known to be the luckiest out of all the 12 animals. So yeah, we need to do some more research on this because yeah. I'm interested. <laughs> I've fallen down the rabbit hole of, you know, what yeah. is this year going to bring? Well, we'll find out soon. <laughs> so and how are you doing, Anika? Uh, I'm good. I'm like absorbing all of this knowledge about the rabbit. I have a friend who actually has like two bunnies who are like super cute. I guess I do know like a a little bit more than the average person because of this friend and like their adventures with the rabbits, but um, I did not know about the lore. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know much. Like that was just a very quick Google search. So yeah, I'm gonna try to. You know, we're in the city. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of celebrations. You know, there's a large population in New York that celebrates the Lunar New Year. So, yeah, I'll try to find something to get into. All right. So this week, uh, first up, we have an interview with Nathaniel Narod, who is an advocate for high quality masks as well as clean indoor air as ways to combat the current COVID-19 pandemic. For national news, we'll be talking about the unfortunate and, you know, very disturbing shooting of a protester in Atlanta. And for world news, we'll be discussing the first time that China's population has fallen in the past 60 years. Uh, so first up, here is our interview with Nathaniel Narod of Ithaca. Thank you so much, Nathaniel, for agreeing to be on the radio with us today. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm getting by. <laughs> and would you mind just saying a few words to introduce yourself, where you're from? Yeah, I'm Nathaniel Marode. I live in Ithaca, New York. Uh, and uh, I've lived here almost my whole life. And at the start of the pandemic, we locked down to protect ourselves until, until we figured out how COVID was transmitted and how to protect ourselves without locking down. And we're still locked down because the general public doesn't know how to protect themselves and it's still not safe out there. Um, so could you take a step back and just explain a little what was your life like right before the pandemic started? Well, we were pretty introverted. I, I wouldn't say we went out a lot, but I took a took train trips around the country. I've actually volunteered for a train advocacy organization. Um, we'd go out to board game groups and we'd eat out at restaurants a lot. Have all of those activities stopped or? Pretty much, although we can do some of the board games online. 
everyone I know is getting into Dungeons and Dragons except me. But, <laughs> well, it's a way to exercise your brain. Yeah, um, I mean, it seems complicated, and it's good. At least you can do a lot of that on the internet. So we, we've been very, very careful. Uh, so we started following all the science we could as soon as soon as we could. Because um, at first, you know, we didn't know anything. We didn't know how it was transmitted. So we were, you know, washing our groceries and so on. Sometime around the middle of 2020, I, I was reading scientific articles. I have... I have a college background in biology, physics, chemistry, basically enough of all the subjects that I can read the articles. Right. And I came across an article by Professor Jose Luis Jimenez called Arguments Against Aerosol Transmission Don't Hold Water. And I went through it in detail. Then I went, well, I got to hear the other side. So then I went and found the people who were saying it wasn't transmitted by aerosols. And I read their papers and... Uh, theirs were full of holes, the logical errors, statistical errors, leaps of illogic, whereas his paper was was solid. And I went, okay, it's transmitted by aerosols. And then I went, what do we do to stop aerosols? And I started following Professor uh, Jimenez and the aerosol scientists and found out about N95 masks. And then I found out about P100 masks, which most people don't know about. And I found out about HEPA filters. And I learned about Carsey Rosenthal boxes, and I started uh, doing everything I could to protect myself um, and my family. My 90-year-old father, who's still teaching in person, he's he's got a P100 elastomeric mask and goes into work with a HEPA filter, and he's hasn't been infected yet. My partner, unfortunately, was infected by a doctor's office. Okay, so Nathaniel, I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind explaining what is an aerosol. Because I know that oh. there's some, um, you know, we we have a broad audience and I think some people might not quite understand. Yeah, yeah. So um, aerosols uh, are little teeny tiny bubbles of water that uh, float around in the air like fog. They're, they're invisibly tiny. If you have an aerosol spray can, that's that's what it sprays. Perfume, when you spray out of a perfume bottle, is aerosolized. Things can hit you right on these little teeny tiny bubbles of water like perfume chemicals or like viruses and the the aerosols hang around in the air for hours wind helps blow them to the ground and away and they can float long distances like fog so if somebody breathe and every time you breathe you're generating aerosols your lungs are full of moisture you breathe out these little teeny tiny bubbles of water and anything that's in your lungs gets carried with them so then there's a little cloud of invisible fog carrying bubbles of water and if you're infected with the virus they're carrying viruses and then if someone you leave the room and someone else walks in 10 minutes later and walks through that cloud of fog and breathes it in then they're breathing in the viruses Right. And I think that's so important to keep in mind because I think um, there's a lot of um, reliance on what people can see, like a person might see that yeah. a room is crowded and they might then think, oh, yeah, I'll wear, I'll wear a mask in that environment. But if it's empty, they're not thinking about what's still in the air from people that were there before. Yes, that's right. And that that makes it it very tricky because you see an empty room, but you don't know whether there were a bunch of unmasked infected people sneezing it in ten minutes ago. So there's there's a couple of ways to address this. Uh, the first is masks, but not just any masks. The problem with the cheap surgical masks that you unfortunately still see a lot is that the air goes right around the edges of them. 
so you, you walk through the fog and it just goes right around the edges of the mask because it's not fitting snug to your face. So you need a mask that really fits snug and tight to your face. And the current recommendations is to get masks which are so-called elastomeric, which means that they have a rubber or a silicone edge on them so that it'll just fit snug around your face, no gaps. Generally, the elastomeric masks are also rated as N95 or P100, which it, N95 means it filters 95% of the aerosols that pass through it. P100 means it filters 99.97%, which is even better. And there's also foreign standards, which are basically the same, like KN95 and KF94 and FFP2 and FFP3. But the, the point is, you have a really good filtering material, and then you make sure there's no gaps in the edge so that it sticks to your face. And then the aerosols hit it, and the mask catches all the aerosols. Air can go right through, but these little tiny bubbles of water, they get caught on the mask by something called electrostatic attraction. And they just sit there. And so the viruses also get caught and just sit there in the mask until they de deteriorate over the course of a few days and die. Right. And that's, I think that that's so important for people to understand. And there's, um, there's a video a friend shared with me of how the electrostatic like work to keep the viruses out. Because I think people will be like, well, how, how can it, you can't breathe or well, you can still smell things because they don't understand the physics. Yeah, the, the, the molecules that you can smell are much, much, much smaller than the virus. They're very different. So then the other the other thing that helps is you can just set up an air filter in the room that sucks the air through a filter and then puts the cleaned air back into the room. And the filters are pretty much the same sort of thing you use for the masks. So uh, the standard commercial versions of these are called HEPA filters, H-E-P-A. They are basically the same material as the P100 masks. Um, you can also make a homemade one. The HEPA filters tend to cost $100 to $200. So you can make a homemade one out of a type of furnace filter. It has to be at least MER 13. And this is called a Corsi Rosenthal box after the people who invented it. They take the room in the air and they just suck it, run it through a filter and comes out the other end clean without the viruses. So that's the way if, if you're running a business and you set these up in, in your business, then people can know that it doesn't matter who was in there 10 minutes ago because the air has been cleaned in the last 10 minutes. I'm a big fan of Corsi Rosenthal boxes. I have one at home. They're very simple to make and they're relatively inexpensive. So they're really a good idea. Like if you are able to do something like that or find someone who can help you make a couple for your home. They, they don't help if someone sneezes in your face, but they help a lot as a backstop because these filters are great, but obviously none of them are perfect. 95% isn't 100%. So every layer we have cleaning the air gets us closer to clean air. And that's that's what's going to stop this pandemic is clean air. And to go back, you mentioned earlier how um, your parents have been able to stay safe from infection, like with some of these layered mitigations, but you were talking yeah. about some challenges with your partner. So so she, she had to go into the doctor's office. Uh, there's no ventilation in the doctor's office. They don't have any air filters. The doctors are wearing either surgical masks, big loose around the edges or cloth masks, and they're pulling them off half the time. And they're inviting their patients to remove the masks. I mean, sometimes the patients have to, to have their mouths looked at. And she was in there for an hour. And my partner had 
her own N95 on, but apparently that wasn't good enough because she tested positive two days later. My partner uh, has has an autoimmune disease and takes immune suppressants, so my partner hadn't been going anywhere, nowhere but the doctor's office. So we know my partner was infected by the doctors. The doctors should have HEPA filters in their offices. The doctors should be wearing N95 or P100 masks. The P100s are reusable, so they actually end up being cheaper in the long run. But they aren't. I think partly it's because the doctors don't know how it spreads. The, the experts on this are the aerosol scientists. The doctors look to the CDC or, or to the World Health Organization, and the CDC and the World Health Organization aren't talking about it. You have to look to the to ASHRAE, a, the American Society of Heating, Air Conditioning Engineers, or, or to the aerosol scientists or the industrial engineers to actually get the information. Right, yeah, and I was talking to a friend earlier today about how, um, unfortunately, like sometimes you'll see someone that's an MD, and because they have, a, because they are a doctor, people will automatically assume, well, yeah, if they say it's okay, that means that it's mu- it must be fine. But that person's specialty might have nothing to do with population health, public health, like you're saying aerosols. Yeah. Like it could be like an oncologist or something, but they're telling you what to do or not do when it comes to an airborne virus, which doesn't really yeah. make sense. And I'll, I'll be fair, there have been some doctors who have been giving very good information, Dr. Lisa Iannatone, but a lot of doctors don't actually understand aerosol spread. One of the things is that until 2020, the medical profession was being taught that aerosol spread didn't happen. It's it's a fact that aerosol spread happens. The debate went through the scientific journals in 2020. It's absolutely clear. The physics is clear. The biology is clear. It's It's proven beyond the shadow of a doubt. But a bunch of physicians, they haven't updated their information. They're relying on what they learned in medical school 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we we know we talked about like some things that you can do as an individual as far as upgrading your mask situation. Like if you're wearing a surgical yeah. or cloth mask, get an N95 or a P100. I I'm, I personally wear the 3M 6200, 6300, 6100. Those are three different sizes: small, medium, large. Which you know they look kind of industrial, but they really really work. Mm-hmm. I think that healthcare workers should be issued with them because uh, in bulk, it turns out that these cost less than $37 each. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot cheaper than getting a lot of disposable masks for a year for a healthcare worker. But True. the hospitals don't even know that it's a possibility. So yeah, that's what I recommend to protect yourself, that and the Corsi Rosenthal boxes and HEPA filters. And I just, I wish everybody knew what they could do. Right. So in that vein, what do you think that um, local, state and federal government officials should be doing right now? First of all, they should be telling people loudly and clearly that COVID is spread by aerosols and what that means, that it can hang around in the air for hours, that it can float long distances, that you can be infected even if all the people have already left the room. Secondly, they should be telling people what sort of masks work to protect against it. The N95s, P100s, uh, the foreign equivalents, because they're not telling people that. Then they should be telling businesses in particular that they need to protect their workers, that they need to issue their workers with masks to defend themselves. They should be telling businesses to put in HEPA filters or Corsi Rosenthal boxes because, you know, you're always going to have some guy who doesn't wear their mask even if they're supposed to. 
and this is this is the backup to keep the workplaces safe, to keep the doctor's offices safe, is you just have these air filters running and cleaning the air. And that should be happening on public transport, too. And then you tell people that they should be wearing masks. And although the surgical and cloth masks aren't very good, they are better than nothing. They're like 30% effective, where the N95 is 95% effective. And in, in crucial places like doctor's offices and public transports, the masks should be required for everybody. In doctor's offices in particular, the doctors and nurses should be required to be wearing proper N95s or P100s. That's the thing that I most don't understand, is how the government is allowing doctors to infect patients. Right. And beyond the deaths and infections and hospitalizations from COVID itself, there's also so many people that are suffering because they can't get proper care because it's not safe right now in so many doctor's offices. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that, I mean, think about it. Sick people are going into doctor's offices. They probably have at least one COVID-infected patient going in, having their mouth inspected every day, and yet they're not protecting the doctors, they're not protecting the nurses, they're not protecting the other patients. It's Government needs to tell everybody, including the doctors, how to protect themselves and how to protect their patients. Um, And on that note, do you have any uh, specific advice for what listeners can do if they want to see these types of changes? Well, uh, Mandate Masks New York is running some campaigns uh, for this. There's also, there's someone who maintains a website under the title Teams Human, T-E-A-M-S Human, who has a list of ongoing petitions and letter writing campaigns. There's, you can join Mandate Masks New York. You can join the World Health Network. That's another advocacy organization. You can join Indoor Air Care Advocates, they also have a whole bunch of really useful information on their website that you can download and you can give to your school administrators, you can give to your doctor's offices to try to explain to them what they need to do and why they need to do it. If you're into social media, uh, there's a Mastodon server called Zeros, Z-E-R-O-E-S dot C-A, which is only for COVID cautious people. Um who are trying to protect themselves. And we've been, you know, networking there. If you're feeling isolated and alone, that's a, that's a place to talk to other people, get information about masks and air filters and so on. <laughs> Those all sound great. And I'm glad that um, you had some concrete things that our listeners can take away because, you know, there are people who do know and understand and want to do better, but it's about connecting them to the tools so that that's possible. All right. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It was really informative. Thank you for having me. There's so many people who don't know, and I want people to have the tools to protect themselves. Right, exactly. So thank you again, and um, hopefully this will spread far and wide. (laughs) Each one, each one. (laughs) Hopefully the information will spread faster than COVID. (laughs) Yeah, we can, from your lips to God's ears. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks again. Thank you, too. Some of the um, resources that were mentioned towards the end of the interview were iaqadvocates.org. So that's a website that has a lot of information and handouts about um, safe indoor air if you want to give them to school administrators. Um, Worldhealthnetwork.global. That's the World Health Network peoplescdc.org, cleanairstars, 
and that has information about air filters and noise ratings for air filters. And Zeros, Z-E-R-O-E-S dot C-A, is um, a social media channel that's for COVID safe people exclusively. Um, some scientists to follow on social media and just the internet in general um, that specialize in aerosol transmission, Jose Luis Jimenez, J-O-S-E dash L-U-I-S Jimenez, J-I-M-E-N-E-Z, Kimberly Prather, P-R-A-T-H-E-R, and Lindsay Marr, and Marr is spelled M-A-R-R. Uh, air cleaning experts to follow is Richard Corsi. Corsi is C-O-R-S-I. And then Joey Fox, uh, spelled very simply J-O-E-Y, last name Fox, like the animal. Uh, there's a YouTube video with an animation that shows how N95 masks work. That's extremely easy to follow and informative. The title is Astounding Physics of N95 Mass and Armbrust, A-R-M-B-R-U-S-T USA is having a very good sale on N95 Mass. It's for masks that are in damaged boxes. So the boxes are beat up, but the masks inside are fine. So if you just Google damaged box sale N95 A-R-M-B-R-U-S-T, you'll be able to see um, the products that they're selling at a discount for right now. Uh, So Janet, Anika, did you have any thoughts on the interview or anything that's jumped out at you? Um, I think the discussion of the aerosols was interesting um, because I don't know that I've fully kept up on how the COVID is able to kind of remain in a space long after people have left it. So that that was a, kind of a good reminder to me that even, um, you know, if you think you're entering a space that seems safe, you have to think about, you know, how recent people have been there. Yeah, I really appreciated your highlighting, like, the fact that, like, folks are relying so much on just, like, visual cues um, for this, like, invisible virus. Um, I also, like, I I hadn't heard of the Swiss cheese model before, and I, like, love this idea that, like, I don't know, there are so many, um, there are so many, like, individual faults that can be, like, found with, um, like, each, like, method of prevention, and I think um, that's, like, an area where, like, anti-vaxxers, like, anti, like, public health, like, activists have been able to, like, actually, like, be effective, where they're, like, okay, well, like, this isn't 100% effective, like, this one thing isn't 100% effective, and I just thought that was, like, a a great way to, like, visualize um, how, like, the overlapping, like, models can, like, make us, like, safer, and, like, how we should be like encouraging all of those things rather than being like, ah, it's like this one thing or like this one thing or nothing. I don't know if y'all have been following the World Economic Forum and Davos. No, I haven't. Julia Doubleday, who's a, a writer um, that I enjoy recently on COVID, 
she wrote an article for, and it was, it appeared in Slate and it was detailing all of the different health measures, anti-COVID measures that they were taking at the World Economic Forum that was held in Switzerland. So like these are very important, rich finance, financial people. And they had required PCR testing right at the door. If you did not, if you didn't want to take the test, you were denied entry. If you tested positive, your your badge went red immediately. They had windows open everywhere. They had HEPA filters in all of the rooms. There wow. were um, masks that were surgical and N95s that were available throughout the entire forum and conference. Um, what they have a dedicated hotline and also many rapid tests. So if you start to not feel well, you take that. There's a hotline for you. So it really goes to show you, like, if people in that position are going to all of those yeah. to protect themselves, but then they're telling you it's just a cold, like, you need to start demanding closer to those standards because if it's good mm-hmm. enough for them, we also deserve that our children and schools deserve to have ventilated. It's no reason that you should be getting pushback for just wanting to have cleaner air for having a protocol when people are positive. So I think we were talking about this uh, recently, Jasmine. There was a phase in the pandemic where the right-wing news was telling people not to get vaccinated or to be concerned about vaccines, how it was a breach on their freedoms or something like this. And then when they actually looked at the news reporters and what their vaccine status was, they were all vaxxed and boosted. So there there seems to be a lot of hypocrisy in the narrative that can happen. So it might be helpful to look towards what the people with the most um, accessibility and prestige and money, how they care for themselves and don't listen necessarily to what they're saying, but take cues to actually what they're going to doing for themselves to stay healthy. If you're interested, I would definitely recommend uh, the article's title is Billionaires at Davos Don't Think COVID is a Cold. Everyone Deserves the Protection from Viruses that They're Getting by Julia Doubleday. And again, that was on Slate.com. Uh, you're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, this is Chic, Everybody Dance. We'll be right back.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Janet with our national news story. All right. So this week, we'll be discussing um, kind of a tragic incidence of violence that took place in the context of Atlantic, Georgia, um, where for over a year now, um, environmentalists have been um, kind of butting heads with police in a southern, the South River Forest Conservation Area that's just south of Atlanta. So on the one hand, environmentalists are trying to protect this area, and on the other hand, um, you have the cops who were recently granted $90 million dollars to develop an uh, 85-acre area and use it as basically a cop facility that's been dubbed, quote, cop city by activists. And the contention between the two groups um, resulted in violence on Wednesday, January 18th, when a young 26-year-old environmental advocate named Tortuguita was fatally shot by the police in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, As we discuss this topic, I'm going to be predominantly drawing on two articles. The first one is Assassinated in Cold Blood, Activists Killed Protesting Georgia's Cop City, and that's by Timothy Pratt in Atlanta, and it was published on Saturday, January 21st of this year. And the second article is called Seven Charged with Domestic Terrorism After Deadly Shooting Near Proposed Atlanta Police Training Facility. And that is by Pamela Kirkland and Teresa Waldrop of CNN News and was published um, the day after the incident on Thursday, January 19th of 2023. Um, So before we get into our discussion of this incident, um, just want to give a little bit of background context. The environmental protests began in 2021, late in the year, when the then Atlanta mayor, um, Keisha Lance Bottoms, announced the plans for this, um, again, uh, 85-acre training center. And this announcement basically reversed a plan that had been established four years prior in which the forest was supposed to be set aside as part of a larger effort to connect a large span of green space south of Atlanta City in an effort to maintain Atlanta's renowned tree canopy and buffer against global warming. Um, An important note to keep in mind here is that most of the residents in the neighborhoods around the forest are black and that prior to this development, the municipal planning had been neglected for, for decades. So, you know, the sense that we get here is that this was a space that was going to be kind of preserved, set aside as kind of a beautiful park for the local residents. And then, of course, what happened is the the politics of Atlanta stepped in where you have 
kind of police department, predominantly white um, leadership, kind of destroying the notion that this could be a beautiful park space, stepping in, and then just uh, their plan was to, and the which is actively underway, is to you know develop this beautiful area and put down basically some kind of a strange, um, the reason it's called Cop City is because it would replicate um, sort of an actual city, but it would be used to train cops, including in using weaponry um, and kind of playing, role-playing for the cops. So it it just seems like it was a very overt statement on the part of the government and the police department to kind of upturn what could have been a nice thing for the area. So these environmentalists had been camping out in the woods for months to try to prevent this development from taking place. And there is still some details that are emerging about the context of the shooting. The police, on the one hand, are um, claiming the young activist actually shot first at a a state trooper, quote, without warning. And then that was what instigated the officers to return fire. But the evidence for that claim is not clear. There was no body cam worn by the cop, which is often the case in Atlanta. And the environmental advocates are saying that the cops had increased their kind of threats using their weaponry in the preceding weeks. And that um, they did not, their, their opinion was that there was not fire from Tortuguita before they were shot by the police. So that's a little bit of background on the story. Um, Jasmine and Anika, I don't know if you've been following this in recent weeks um, or had been aware of the Cop City development prior, but um, feel free to jump in with some comments on this story. Yeah, I had heard. So I had kind of been um, not really like following, but um, like Cop City and the protests against like the occupation in the forest against it. Um, has been on my radar, but I, I had only heard about um, like the killing of Tortuguita like through memes. Really, I did not know any of the details. So thanks, Janet, for um, that like summary. I think like in a, in addition to like appropriation of like these folks like potential park, like it's also like we can see this as like part of like the backlash to like the defund the police movement, like the um, organizing in like 2020 against like police violence. Like this is like a sort of like retrenchment of police power and like municipalities, like choosing like police over like community investment. That's happening. So every, like it's happening in the city here. Yeah. And in this case you had the, um, Georgia Bureau is investigating, you know, the incident, but of course the the GBI is under the Republican governor Brian Kemp's orders. Yeah. So there's a little, you know, it's kind of a conflict of interest and then another thing I saw in reading on this was that the main Atlanta newspaper was kind of entangled financially with supporting the cops new development project oh my god I did not know that one of the main um, 
Atlanta newspapers that was reporting on this incident. One of the articles I read was saying that they're kind of a sponsor of the cop. Like there's a lot of Atlanta politics and Atlanta news outlets that are supporting the cops financially for this project. So then when you're thinking about the narrative of, like, for example, um, Kemp was calling for a long time the environmentalist uh, terrorist. And so like that kind of language coming into it is kind of shaping this narrative. And it does seem like there were some, some violence had been building up to this, but Molotov cocktails on cop cars and things like that. But then in retaliation with cops firing guns at people and stuff like that oh my god and like i'm glad that you mentioned um when you were reading and i think it's so important for everyone to keep in mind that many news outlets just run with the cops version of events as if it is a straight fact and that is often not the case it's like just saying, oh, this person was doing this and that and, you know, it'll just be parroted as if that's what yeah. happened when who knows what really happened. But, you know, what's more likely to have happened is that maybe the person didn't do anything first. And even if they did, they shouldn't have ended up dead. You know, but that connection between the, the media, the people who are supposed to be objective not objective, but the people that are supposed to be, you know, giving you an accurate portrayal of what happened, like they can too, and often do have like vested interests in presenting things in a biased way towards power. Right. So you have the people investigating the situation have a connection to the Republican government. You have the people reporting, being connected to this project. And, you know, we had there was a police officer with, you know, he was shot in his abdomen. Um, but the story of how that happened is not clear. And like, like I said, there was no body cam. The notion of that's developing is that they went inside the tent um, where the environmentalist was. And, and that to me, that also is kind of a suspicious thing, right? Like, if that's the case, it differs with what the police narrative was that basically that Tortuguito was shooting at the cops in the forest and then they returned fire. So I think it's it's going to be hard to have reliable um, information that comes out about how this really happened. But I think the bigger picture of the story is that you have community members who are you know, fighting for an important green space. Green spaces are, you know, quickly being lost in the world that we live in. Um, For urban people, it's so special to have green space. They were talking that this initiative to preserve these areas would really kind of, you know, in New York, we're fortunate to have our Central Park. Um, This would be an even bigger body that would help to protect the environment. Um, of Georgia at large, and also help to give local people a space to relax and enjoy nature in. And it just seems like it was a very clear and aggressive intrusion by the cops to disrupt this effort. Yeah, and I just I just want to say, like, I did find um, there's an interview with Kamau Franklin on uh, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman, and it's about um, the death and the life of Tortuguita Tehran. Uh, the article, you can find the transcript 
at um, truthout.org and the title is Honoring Tortuguita Tehran, the Activist Killed by Police in Atlanta. So yeah, I would encourage people to read that to get more information about their life. Anything else before we move on? Um, To end this segment, uh, I just want to uh, use a quote from the CNN article in which um, fellow environmentalists describe Tehran. So they say, local justice groups released a joint statement saying Tehran, known as Tortuguita and whom identifies as non-binary, was a sweet, warm, very smart, and caring person. And so it's very sad to have seen that an environment, a young environmental advocate was um, killed by the police in this confrontation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our next musical break is going to be a song by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Uh, so in case you haven't heard, uh, David Crosby recently passed away. Um, he died on January the 18th. Um, this song is Ohio, uh, which was written about the 1970 shootings of four Kent State students who were protesting the Vietnam War. Uh, they were gunned down by the Ohio National Guard. So another story of young lives cut short way too soon because they were protesting for the right thing. You're listening to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be right back. can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. No spaces, no punctuation. Our Instagram account is at objection to the rule. Again, no spaces, no punctuation marks. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, And next up, I will be sharing the world news story. Um, This information comes from Reuters.com. The title of the article is China's first population drop in six decades sounds alarm on demographic crisis. Uh, It was written by Albi Zhang and Farah Master. Um, And I'm going to read this almost in its entirety, but some things have been cut for the sake of time. China's population fell last year for the first time in six decades, a historic turn that is expected to mark the start of a long period of decline in its citizen numbers with profound implications for its economy and the world. 
the country's National Bureau of Statistics reported a drop of roughly 850,000 people for a population of 1.41175 billion in 2022, marking the first decline since 1961, the last year of China's Great Famine. Long-term, UN experts see China's population shrinking by 109 million by 2050, more than triple the decline of their previous forecast in 2019. That's caused domestic demographers to lament that China will get old before it gets rich, slowing the economy as revenues drop and government debt increases due to soaring health and welfare costs. Economic growth will have to depend more on productivity growth, added Ji Wei Zhang, chief economist at Pinpoint Asset Management. Kang Yi, head of the National Statistics Bureau, dismissed concerns about the population decline, telling reporters that overall labor supply still exceeds demand. China's birth rate last year was just 6.77 births per 1,000 people, down from a rate of 7.52 births in 2021 and marking the lowest birth rate on record. The death rate, the highest since 1974 during the Cultural Revolution, was 7.37 deaths per 1,000 people, which compares with the rate of 7.18 deaths in 2021. Much of the demographic downturn is the result of China's one-child policy imposed between 1980 and 2015, as well as sky-high education costs that have put many Chinese off having more than one child or even having any at all. The one-child policy and a traditional preference for boys have also created a deep gender imbalance. Local governments have since 2021 rolled out measures to encourage people to have more babies, including tax deductions, longer maternity leave, and housing subsidies. President Xi Jinping also said in October the government would enact further supportive policies. The measures so far, however, have done little to arrest the long-term trend. Online searches for baby strollers on China's Baidu search engine dropped 17% in 2022 and are down 41% since 2018, while searches for baby bottles are down more than a third since 2018. In contrast, searches for elderly care homes surged eightfold last year. I think... um, this article, I, I, what jumped out to me was the emphasis on economy, like talking about things in the term of the economy, inflation and stuff like that. Um, but it's, I get more worried about like what that means for people's rights. Like when you see alarm over there not being enough babies, like it's not just in China, but I think we're seeing a troubling trend that happens. Absolutely. Um, across the board so yeah it is I remember from my environmental science course way back in high school that you know this is a um, something in demographics that is studied in relation to society but also the environment and they just showed kind of three you know three examples of how a society can look where you have a pyramid 
with the idea that the base of the pyramid is very um, the youngest part of society, and there's a small amount at the top. And that kind of a period is also not an ideal situation because the implication is that children are not reaching to maturity. There, there's a lot, a high rate of um, death among children. And then in the middle, you have the scenario where it's fairly even, almost like a closer to like a rectangle shape where you have a number of babies coming in and a number of elderly and the age groups are fairly well distributed. And that's kind of more of the ideal picture because there's enough people to um, replace the older generation, take care of the older generation in their age, not cause economic disruption. And then in the final scenario, it's like an inverted pyramid, which is what China sounds like it's coming into where um, smallest population is in the younger demographics, and then you have a large um, older community at the top. And this situation, again, it can go back to the economy because it, it plays into stuff like healthcare and um, like in our own country, talking about the older population um, having their um, 401ks and all these um, economic institutions where you can retire and take money back. When you have an inverted pyramid, it can upset that balance. Um, but as Jasmine was saying, we should, we should also be thinking about the social implications for these kind of situations where what does it mean for the young generation to be caring for a huge group of the older population um, and trying to carry the burden of how society is structured with um, without the same amount of people. There, there is like a like misanthropic streak in me that's like that's what you get for like messing with people's like reproductive rights for so long. But you know, again, there's like this like sharp distinction between like the people who are like living with the consequences of this and like the functionaries like state powers that have been responsible for um like creating those like policies ostensibly or at least one of the original reasons that china was implementing this the one child policy was kind of thinking about the growth of their population and um I don't want to say this in a controversial way, but certainly we've had more people on the planet than ever before. Like we've never reached um, the, the number of billions of people that we have now. And that is putting stresses certainly on the environment. Um, but with China, we saw how a one child policy, instead of safely and um, beneficially reducing the population, it really played out all of the societal kind of social disparities where yeah. um, women were being, or young female children in like poor communities were being drowned. And, and it, it didn't just make it a simple way to lower the population and make everyone have a higher quality of life. It basically targeted poor women who were forced to have abortions. And of course, like the article stated, there is this longstanding preference for male offspring. And so the reason that there are more men in China today is because the female babies would often be aborted. And the privileged members of society were able to pay the government to be able to have two and three children in some cases. And so as in many 
um, efforts around the world to control the population, uh, it really ended up having very tragic scenarios play out for the poorer people of China. So I think there is a, a valid concern for thinking about the population size um, in terms of the environmental strains that we're putting on the earth, but we can see how dangerous it is when government plays a hand in trying to control it in this way. And again, back to my environmental class, the, the environmental textbook suggested that based on world uh, data, the best way to reduce population size in a community in a safe and gradual way is to have the women in your society be educated and um, able to be supported as parents. I think like a lot of times like population growth gets discussed in terms of like fatalistic like understanding of like what it is to be like human and like have like an impact like your inherent like impact on the earth as like a human and um I think there are like a lot of ways we live now that we could change and like there wouldn't have to be this like with this many more people we are like going through like this many more resources that much more quickly like these aren't like fixed things there's a relatively small proportion of the popul of the global population that's like using most of like the resources and like doing most of the damage to the earth so um I did want to like trouble that, but I did want to say like there's a, a a woman named Naomi Wu and she goes by the sexy cyborg on Twitter, and she had a thread like when this news came out and she was describing how she thought it was bad news for Chinese women because of what it can mean like when the government decides that you don't have enough people getting pregnant. That has really scary implications. Like if you think about Romania and how I can't say that man's name, I never get it right, but the dictator they had that Ceausescu. Was, say it again. Ceausescu. Ceausescu. Like nightmare scenarios of like yeah. tracking everyone's menstrual cycle. They're doing that in Poland right now. Oof. You know, it's like, how about we make life more livable for everyone? And guess what? Right. More people would decide to have children. And then those who don't want wouldn't feel the pressure to do it. And I was just going to say that this really has, in America especially, it's come into play with the topic of immigration. Because there is no shortage of people in the world. And one way to stabilize um, local economies is to allow immigrants to enter and be part of the society so that you don't need to force women to have extra babies. You need to have a more, um, a less nationalistic look at the problem and say, well, there are people that need new homes based on some of the climate, uh, the climate problems that we've been causing. So maybe that can be a way to stabilize it. And obviously in our uh, polemicized government, we've seen how immigrants are often pitted against uh, American interests or something like this, but they can actually be a way to resolve certain changes happening in the demographics of our country and likewise in other parts of the world. And I feel like I associate this topic more with Japan, who's been um, having that inverted pyramid demographic shape for a long time now. And <laughs> not to, to lighten this or anything, but in Japan, of course, one of the things we see developing is the use of robots. 
you know, I've seen a lot of articles that come out about how in Japan robots are, are used as health aids and they're getting more and more sophisticated and things like that. And it's just, uh, you know, on a societal level, again, it's like thinking about how your older life care could be if you had like a, a younger generation to take care of you versus being an older person and having the robots take care of you. Right. And then there's also um, thinking about COVID and a lot of these eugenicist uh, policies, like that's also a very scary part of this as well, when people are more and more panicked about population growths and stuff and not having enough younger people to care for the older people, like what happens to the quality of care or the care period for people that are older that don't quote unquote produce, you know, like that can then create incentives to basically, you see what's happening in Canada with the maid, with the medical assistance and dying, like pushing people towards dying prematurely because the state would rather not deal with having to care for them. And that's, you know, that's another part of this um, issue that needs to be thought about as well. It's like there's a lot of very disturbing visions for the future, like getting rid of certain groups, like when the governments start to panic about these types of quote unquote strains. Yeah, it's really awful. On that note, (laughs) uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Stay tuned for more community-based radio. And I'm going to play us out with The Clash. This is Straight to Hell. Happy Lunar New Year, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Wanna join?